<clears throat> yeah, I think to leave it sort of open, I think this is like, it just has a lot of mental itching powder in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Our old teacher used to say. Anyway, we've been talking to Lisa Neville of Portland University and Matthew of KBU and Gremlin Time about the 2013 film Ida, which is well worth seeing again and thinking about and discussing in your uh, your monthly film club meeting group. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Community Radio KBOO Portland. Film at 11 will be back next week. So until then, keep watching the screens. listening to KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio is looking for a full-time station manager to oversee administrative fundraising and business functions. Nonprofit management experience required. To apply, go to kboo.fm slash station manager hire or visit our website. Deadline to apply is Friday, April 7th. KBOOT is an equal opportunity employer. KBOOT Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOOT in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOOT Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. The Engineering Committee meets on the first Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. This month's meeting will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland and online through a public video conference. Masks and proof of vaccination are required at this time. A public link and phone number to attend the meeting virtually can be found on our website at kboo.fm. Please visit our website to verify if a meeting is being held. This is Cesar Chavez. You're listening to KBOO, listener-sponsored radio. The following program is a rebroadcast. Dates, times, and events mentioned in the following program have already occurred. Thank you for tuning in to KBOO Portland. From KRBX in Boise, Idaho, welcome to Radio Awakened, exploring the furthest reaches of human potential the show that deep dives into the process of becoming the best of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Sapiro. Today's show is on connecting across differences with Angela Okawa. As this show is reaching its end, I feel a sense of pressure to share what I consider to be such important topics to help our human community to be better to one another. Having grown up as a third-generation Holocaust survivor and seeing firsthand the impact of violence and hatred done toward my family for practicing a certain religion and having specific facial and bodily features, 
I have dedicated uh, my life to collective healing and transformation. Sorry to be so blunt, but humans can be and are often terrible to one another, and that's generally based out of fear, ignorance, greed, and hatred. I have spent so much of my adult life bringing attention to the collective harmful psychological impacts of racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, and any other oppressive way of being that marginalizes and disempowers a group of people based on seeming differences from the dominant group. What I find overall is that most people I engage with on these topics don't want others to be hurt, but often feel helpless to make a difference or don't own their parts in the process. They also feel overwhelmed and uncomfortable just talking about these topics, which makes it very difficult to work toward collective change when we struggle to even engage in conversations. What I have personally found to be the most powerful tool in affecting change in my community is deep listening. Listening with an open heart, curiosity, and compassion when people who are different from me share their experiences. Listening is a sacred act, one that connects people heart to heart and where new perspectives can be heard reflected on, and ultimately shared for everyone's benefit. Today, I've invited someone whose work in the field I respect. Angela works with individuals and organizations committed to building capacity to be with difference and practicing deep belonging. With a background in tech startups and design thinking, as well as experience working with trauma, culture, and identity, Angela brings us a unique perspective to working with difference. She is a certified integral coach and licensed marriage and family therapist. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. Maybe we can start with you um, sharing with our listeners who you are and uh, what brought you to the work. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for the introduction. I think that, um, just kind of hearing myself kind of fed back to me. I think just hearing your story really moved me just because it so much resonates with my own story, mm -hmm. obviously different components, mm -hmm. but that having grown up biracial and bicultural, um, spending time in Japan and moving between there and the U.S., I experienced a lot of just a lot of difference, a lot of being different here, seen by my classmates as strange with strange mm -hmm. food and um, strange mannerisms, and then going to Japan and spending summers there with my Japanese family and being also very strange there as mm. well, not really belonging. Mm. And uh, I got really good at figuring out how to bridge those two worlds painfully at first mm. because of just not belonging, but then learning to find ways to kind of help people see from the inside the other side. Mm. I found like mm. people just had an idea of Japan and it, they weren't really seeing the ways that Japanese are just, you know, think of the world so differently. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's carried a bit into my other work. I mean, I've worked mm -hmm. in tech and then I worked as a psychotherapist, two very different mm -hmm. environments. And I feel like I'm, I'm bridging those constantly in my work with people mm -hmm. where my therapy skills are very helpful when working with, you know, mm -hmm. DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work mm -hmm. with folks. So, well, yeah. Well, some people... Well, many people have these experiences, but don't make a career out of it. Don't true. dedicate their life to this. What mm. about these topics? Or, or is that? Yeah. Important? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, some people grow up with it. I, I, and don't, I really wonder, I mean, with my life, I feel like I was always helping people that were different. Mm. Like maybe I feel like it was because of my own moving back and forth and maybe mm. my personality, but mm. I was always that person to kind of see the person that's not feeling like they're, they're, um, you know, that they were just the other, the different mm. culture, different race, whatever it was. I was always the one to, to talk to them and help them kind mm. of bring them in as a young kid. I used to do that. And then as I got older, I just had this knack for just really getting into other people's world and then seeing mm. it from their perspective. And then, almost like feeling into it with them and mm -hmm. then seeing the ways in which the world I was coming from was oppressive or the ways mm -hmm. in which my way of being actually wasn't helping the situation. Mm -hmm. Like I could pop out and see myself from the outside and that skill, I just, I saw it just so needed in all the spaces mm -hmm. that I've been in. I just felt like a calling to do that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I didn't really have a choice. So it's mm -hmm. with this work, 
it, it doesn't feel like a choice. It just feels like this is what I'm to do. Yeah, I understand. In Buddhism, we call that our dharma in some way, what we're, yeah. uh, what we're born to do. Whether we want to or not, we always come back to it. Exactly. I'm an introvert. Like, this is not my spaces that I typically would seek out, and yet I find mm. myself in group spaces facilitating conversations around difference, and I just I love it when I'm in it, and mm. it feels like something that's just what I do, and yet if mm. you told me this 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I'd be no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, let's talk about the work a little bit. I'd like sure. to hear, you know, what are you actually doing? Are you working with groups of people who are different? Mm -hmm. Are you in organizations? And what, what are you doing? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, I've worked, so some of the, like, the um, companies and organizations that I work with, they seek me out when they, they can feel that there's a cultural divide between parts of, you know, the people within the co company. And one company stands out, um, it was a French company and an American company and, and fairly mm -hmm. international, but, you know, kind of very much those two. And uh, they were having a, having a hard time with working with some of the Asian people um, mm -hmm. within the organization. They wanted to bring me in and talk, like, how do we communicate with each other? And so I just introduced some simple things around just communication styles, which were really new to them, that there's these indirect ways of communicating that mm -hmm. some countries like Asian countries typically use. And then there's very mm -hmm. direct ways, which like um, like German, Russian, like US, like there's, mm -hmm. we can be a bit more direct here and that scene is good, right? Mm -hmm. Indirect scene is bad here. Mm -hmm. Whereas you go to Asia, it's the opposite, mm -hmm. right? You don't want to be so direct. And yeah. so when I brought that up into the company, I got an email from a concerned um, person um, from the, the French side of the company just saying that they felt like I was offending um, the Asian, Asian culture by calling mm. them indirect. Mm because that was offensive. Mm -hmm. And so there's ways in which just bridging that of like, oh, you're coming from a different lens. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing this as bad. So that's kind of how I, mm -hmm. I come in and help people see something as so simple as mm -hmm. that. How do you, I mean, that takes a lot of nuances and subtlety and also a lot of information of all these various mm -hmm. cultures to do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So are you... Yeah. Do you study this? Is this part of what you're doing? Or <laughs> right, right. Well, there's a great book called The Culture Map. And mm. I recommend it to anyone that, you know, deals mm. internationally with different cultures. And they have mm. kind of set maps around ways of relating with each other around communication, ways of coming to consensus, ways mm. of, you know, giving feedback. Mm. You know, it's just these great shorthands that I find. And I apply it just even to, into like relationships because I do mm. relationship coaching and therapy, working mm. with individuals that way too. And you work like, people who are in a, like an intercultural or interracial relationship, there's you know, big differences of just mm -hmm. how people show affection or show love or um, communicate even within relationships that mm -hmm. the signals just get completely missed, right? Mm -hmm. One person thinks they're being clear and the other ones, you know, can't hear them. Totally. Yeah. That yeah. can happen even within the same kind of culture. Uh, yeah. People are, are raised so differently that their communication styles don't, mm -hmm. don't work at all. Yeah. I, yeah. Just because our show is so short and this is such an important topic, I'd like yeah. to drop into talking maybe first about, I guess the heart of my wondering is why why do people struggle so much with differences? And that because it creates such, such there's such violence in the world based on mm. these differences. Mm -hmm. And so in order, before we get to like how you do your work, I'd like mm -hmm. to drop into why do you have to do your work in the first place? Yeah, well, I think you're pointing to a particular type of difference, right? You said in your introduction, just talking about your own cultural background mm -hmm. and, right, anti-Semitism and just like how, um, how hate, like difference can turn into like hating the other. Mm -hmm. The way I feel into it, though, if I'm thinking of just the average person, sometimes it's hard to think of a whole group of people, okay. right? We get a little outside of ourselves. But when I meet people who are struggling to understand someone, it's that, it's like they're coming from a different value place. They're interpreting mm -hmm. a certain person's behavior as, you know, nonsensical or just wrong. Sort of like that person who was concerned I was insulting the Japanese mm -hmm. by calling them indirect, right? Mm -hmm. But I wasn't. I was just pointing out that that's a different way of communicating. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those things can come up where people see a different culture in that way of just something wrong. But then there's also historical contexts of um, certain understanding of history, a certain um, or a lack of empathy, maybe of really mm -hmm. fully feeling into the horrors um, mm -hmm. that have happened. And, but yeah, I think, I think it's just 
ultimately it's like a deep it's a fear people mm -hmm. are scared yeah. of things that are different yeah and if you're not exposed to a lot of difference in your life it can seem threatening to your way of way of life your way of living right and and people can feel like a great sense of anxiety and uh there's actually studies done on this that um, it's like an existential anxiety or threat, mm -hmm. like there, something bad is going to happen. And yes, right. they start seeing the other as the cause of that bad mm -hmm. badness being, you know, people at the border or whatever it is. It's this like existential threat that's just coming in to hurt me. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, I think a lot of people are just not comfortable with, with change. Yeah, yeah, I read a book by Sebastian Younger, I think his name was, who... who yeah, Tribe. Hi, Tribe, yeah, yes. and it's so fascinating. You know, when we have a threat to our community, we gather against yes. that threat. And if, if we have a threat against our country, we gather mm -hmm. and we, we all unite. Yeah. Um, and if we have a world threat, then we gather and unite. And mm -hmm. as soon as that threat's over, we go back to hating one another, just as we did before the threat. Yeah. It's like we, we dissolve back into, wait, you're different. Even though right. we were just fighting aliens, Right. Now, now you're from this other place that I remember I don't like. Right. And I really, I'm so sad that that's what we do as human beings. Yeah, but I can also, too... There's a part of me that tried to, you know, try to empathize. Like if you lived in a small town and everything stayed the same for, you know, generations. You know, you had the your church that you went to. This mm -hmm. this family did that, and you know, and then all of a sudden immigrants start coming in. They want different food. Mm -hmm. You know, restaurants are changing. Like, and then it's just changing too fast yeah. for some mm -hmm. people. Like I could see how, you know, that could uncomfortable and scary mm -hmm. like our way of life is now being taken over by some yeah. other people and we mm -hmm. need to fight for it we need to keep mm -hmm. our way of life like part of me can get that i can mm -hmm. understand that and so working with people with that anxiety not trying to you know increase it but just you know mm -hmm. helping them like calm their nervous system i think that's mm -hmm. such a big piece of this work is mm -hmm. like our nervous systems are just in a heightened state of anxiety and threat mm -hmm. This is a good place to just uh, let you all know we're talking with Angela Okawa, who's a, um, a therapist and consultant helping companies and individuals work across differences. You're listening to Radio Awakened. And right now we're just talking about what happens when we meet difference. Our nervous system starts getting a little agitated or defensive and we start seeing threats. So can you speak a little bit more of that? Mm -hmm. And then maybe we'll go into what, what do you do to help restore yeah. that so we can talk across differences yeah i mean what's so fascinating um just about our nervous system is there's a great book by um I think it's robert sapolsky sapolsky yeah. i don't know if yeah. i'm saying mm -hmm. his name right behave that talks about um just slowly um second by second millisecond by millisecond how when we engage someone who's different from us like facial features mm -hmm. um, skin color how our amygdala fires whether mm -hmm. we want it to or not and that sends a moment of just like a fear within us that there could be a threat but then with enough time you know our other more slower parts of our brain like the human parts of our brain can go oh wait actually you're not under threat mm -hmm. we're fine mm -hmm. everything's good but um if we're constantly in a state of you know anxiety especially with covid too mm -hmm. like we're we're heightened to pick up the threat so that is just we're primed for it and i think just some people um are in a heightened state more often than not. I mean, it, you mentioned, you know, your background with Buddhism, just mm -hmm. studies showing that regular meditation can actually shrink the size. I would love mm -hmm. to double check on this, but I think this is mm -hmm. true. Shrinks the size of the amygdala. Mm -hmm. It right? does, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so there's ways that the, the people just have higher reactivity because of trauma. That could mm -hmm. be something that's there. You know, so some people are just ready to jump to that um, mm -hmm. heightened space um, mm -hmm. or state much quicker than others. So... Great. So we're we're seeing people who are different. It's yeah. the food smell different. They look yeah. different. We mm -hmm. might have a sense of threat, mm -hmm. um, and some of it's just built in for survival. Some of it's conditioned, like racism yeah. that's embedded in our systems. We're mm -hmm. taught certain things, so we just go, "Oh, I should move across the street here. I should mm -hmm. hold my purse," even though there mm -hmm. might. I mean, yeah. 
Right. So yeah. there's taught, conditioned, and then there's just natural threat response. What right. do you do with people and individuals? And how do you teach even organizations to be aware of this so that they can start working across differences? Right. Well, I think just with the people I work with, a lot of them are pretty much like on board with like, I, I, I'm not biased. Like I've mm -hmm. done a lot of work, you know, the, most of them is about getting them to acknowledge that they do have these biases, mm -hmm. that they mm -hmm. do have this, they have been socialized, yeah. whether they want mm -hmm. to believe it or not, it's mm -hmm. in there. And for them to actually catch them because it's very unconscious. Mm -hmm. So off, it's not usually visible. So mm -hmm. that's part of the work is getting them to start noticing that that's there and like mm -hmm. admit it and then let's go you know kind of work from there and so once they start to notice it then they start to go oh I'm actually uncomfortable with you know you know someone of say a different race and they realize they're actually uncomfortable with it with them um, or maybe someone who's transgender like, I don't mm -hmm. know what to say I mess up with mm -hmm. the pronouns like I just um, and so I work with them with their nervous systems of just, okay, you're going to mess up, especially say with pronouns, this is new for you. You never have done this before. So just give them things like just practice, practicing their face, saying the pronoun, mm -hmm. you know, on the side and just kind of work through it and know that if you mess up, it's okay. Just, you know, correct yourself and move on. And so mm -hmm. oftentimes it's just working with their nervous system and just, mm -hmm. you know, letting them know you're going to mess up. Let's just move mm -hmm. through it. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of this work, and it wasn't in the beginning, but it is now, is becoming radically honest about who I am and my biases mm -hmm. and my belief systems. Because I used to be so defensive. I'm in the social justice field. Right. I care about everybody equally. And I'd make all these missteps and I'd hurt people, not on purpose, but I would hear, oh, I'm impacting people. And mm -hmm. I'd be like, well, no, no, I'm, I didn't mean it. And here, mm -hmm. da, da, da. now I'm like, oh, tell me more. What happened? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, yeah. And now mm -hmm. I can reflect and go, you know what? I'm a little uncomfortable with this or you yeah. or this topic. And and it's actually really freeing. I want yeah. the audience to know it's so liberating to speak the truth, yeah. even if it's uncomfortable, that you can actually do the work from a place of ease and care yeah. rather than defensiveness. Yeah, I mean, just even hearing you say that, my whole nervous system kind of mm -hmm. calmed down a little, I, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of relaxed mm -hmm. a little bit because I can imagine if I were to tell you something, like I'm seeing this thing, a bias mm -hmm. in you, and if you said back to me like, hey, oh, I'm really uncomfortable, I think that's why I said that, or, but I, I want to hear more, tell me more. Mm -hmm. It's so congruent with what's actually happening mm -hmm. rather than if someone said, I don't know what you're talking about, I you know, I didn't mean any harm, but mm -hmm. I, what I said was fine. Then there's this incongruence where I'm like, something happened, but you're behaving differently. Right, right. But you're being so congruent with what's happening that I can feel, I can relax around it, even mm -hmm. though you're uncomfortable, but you named it. And it's like, okay, I can work with that. Totally. Yeah. Then we can work with each other because yeah. you're not sensing. Um, yeah. Being defensive is actually putting up a wall between us. Yeah. And now I got to say, I still get defensive sure. I can feel my body tense up and I can feel I can actually hear and feel my mind wanting to argue the point yeah uh, but I've now training myself to go hold on Mike I, I listen just listen listen for a mm -hmm. second just yeah. listen maybe yeah. it's true maybe it's not but I won't know until I really hear a person out and learn something so yeah I'd like yeah. to no, go ahead. Sorry. No, go no. Ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking like that's such a great thing that most people don't think about is that it's so vulnerable. I think people feel exposed that by saying, I don't know, I don't know what to do here. Like mm -hmm. as they're talking, something happened, like they don't understand why someone's so mad at them. Just saying, I really don't know what's happening, but I really mm -hmm. want to understand. Please, if you don't mind, could you tell me a little bit more of your experience mm -hmm. to help me better mm -hmm. understand? Right. Mm -hmm. And just really be honest in that yes, space is the opposite of what people think. They think they're supposed to know. They think, oh, I'm mm -hmm. supposed to know what I'm doing and say the right things. Right. right. But really, you don't. You don't need to say all the right things. Just mm -hmm. be true to what you're actually mm -hmm. feeling. That's that's such good permission because so many of us uh, are wounded from parents who have high expectations or put yeah. so much on us to be right all the time. I'm speaking about myself. Sure. And so then if I mess up, it immediately elicits the, oh, oh crap, I'm, I'm bad. I should yeah. be ashamed. And now I have to defend myself. And now stuff. you're all spiraling into like totally. a shame spiral totally. and then you're dysregulated and yeah. you're not thinking straight. So it makes things a lot worse. A yeah. lot harder to connect to another Absolutely. person who's also just sitting there wounded and waiting to be heard. That's it. Yeah.
we're talking with Angela Okawa about connecting across differences. And I know uh, before the show began, you asked if there's time, if we can do maybe an exercise together. So I think this would be a great time to do whatever yeah. you had in mind. Yeah, yeah, we can see how well it fits in. So okay. one of the things, uh, we're actually kind of doing it already in just what we're talking about which is I wanted to see somatically what it'd be like for you and I Mm -hmm. just to be and name our experience of what it's like to be with our differences, like actually Mm -hmm. tolerate, you know, sitting in these different spaces Mm because already I can feel like, oh, we're connecting. There's this way that there's a similarities like, and that's Mm -hmm. that sameness, that sort of connecting that feels really great that we all Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. It's the difference part that can be challenging, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, like, Um, Thank you for being up for this. Mm -hmm. Um, If you just, you know, we can just sit with like, say around gender Mm -hmm. um, or just start, you know, sex, like male, Mm -hmm. female, Mm -hmm. right? And just like noticing what it's like to to name that, just our difference right there, different social, like the way we're socialized, the way we see the world differently, Mm. right? There's like the culture and just the, you know, sexism, power dynamics in our Mm. culture, like really feeling into that. What do you notice as you just kind of sit with me with this difference highlighted? I notice that I want to make sure I'm giving you space, not talking mm-hmm. over you, not being dominant in the conversation, not mansplaining mm-hmm. anything. Those <laughs> are things that kind of come uh-huh. up when you're asking me about like, oh, now that I'm noticing these differences. Right. I want to be really careful around that. Yeah. And somatically, when you try and feel like, mm-hmm. just sense me, what do you notice just in the body? Versus how we were earlier. Like now that I've named our difference, what do now you feel? Now a little bit more tense. Just yeah. like, oh, I better be cautious and on guard now. You know, a little mm-hmm. bit more like uh, aware that I have this, there's this power differential and I shouldn't, I got to be careful mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah. And so just naming for me is like the, the, when the identity of like being female or being a woman comes up, then suddenly there's a space between us. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, right. You know, there's this, these roles in society. Mm-hmm. There's the history, mm-hmm. you know, of our roles. And I can feel a bit of a distance. And that can, mm-hmm. it's a, there's a little discomfort, a little tension. Mm-hmm. i like, oh, I was liking our flow mm-hmm. right before. And just this exercise can be great just to remember that this is okay, that sometimes we need to move into this space mm-hmm. to allow the other person to share their difference and to- mm-hmm. we need to tolerate this distance and tension for a moment so that then we can then come together knowing mm-hmm. this difference. Interesting. Right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people like to jump to the sameness, like, oh, mm-hmm. let's just, we're all one. We all love mm-hmm. each other. We all believe like, you know, equality and all these things and equity um, but we go there too soon, then you mm. bypass this. Mm. Interesting. This, this, this is what needs to happen sometimes, right? When you say, mm. yeah, go ahead. Well, what does this do for us? Like why I, I actually agree with you. I think yeah. there's a lot of ways. I used to train yoga teachers and I worked in prisons and all kinds of rehab centers and um, some really well-intentioned, highly resourced white women wanted yeah. to go in and work with African-American men and they would use the lines like we're all the same. We're all yeah. really, and I'm like, no, that's not going to go across really well. Yeah. Um, that's really ignoring the reality yeah. of what they're facing as black men pro- in jail or in a yeah. rehab center. And so we had to work through that with our teachers to get mm-hmm. them to understand the differences are actually extremely important to, yeah. to speak with and name. So that's mm-hmm. where I could come from with that. But why would we want to have a like even a little rupture, you know, of like that? Right. Well, so the rupture, like this was artificial. I just sure. created an exercise, right? But if there was a time or if there was a way in which the identities around our gender differences came up where I mm-hmm. got upset about mm-hmm. something and if you were able to sit in the fact that you were a man and you were noticing, oh, right. Maybe I was mansplaining. Maybe I was doing something. Maybe I was interrupting her mm-hmm. and being able to talk to me just like, oh, like, what was your experience like? Because mm-hmm. I want to check where I am with you. Like, and I, you know, and there's a way when you step into that distance, then you allow me to just I, to share my actual mm-hmm. experience. And I know you're really listening. You're not trying to brush it away and go, oh, but we're all the same. Everything's mm-hmm. great. You're actually allowing us to be different. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing my experience in this moment 
say I was saying something about, you know, mm. being a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, you were talking over me, mm-hmm. you know? And so the way I've seen it before, sometimes people just go, oh, no, I wasn't. You're just imagining, like, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that. I think what you're mm-hmm. saying is really important. Let me tell you the ways in which it's important, right? Mm-hmm. And they go into that, into mm-hmm. that place. But that space allows me to be seen, I mm-hmm. think is what it is. And so mm-hmm. like what you're saying, going into prisons and talking to people so different from you, is like, you don't know what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. You don't know anything. I wouldn't mm-hmm. know anything. I mm-hmm. would just, you know, want to listen. Mm-hmm. I, I think, so what I'm hearing is connecting across differences also means being tolerating discomfort of being yeah. different like yeah. there's a being comfortable in the discomfort of it like okay there is something here that doesn't feel right but i can tolerate that for the sake of healing growth listening yeah. whatever whatever it is yeah i mean just and maybe this is the work you know work you've done when working with clients like if i were a female client to you or um or it could be a coworker, right it doesn't have to be just in a therapeutics place but if i came to you and said and I was angry about men in general. I had a very bad experience at work or something happened and, and I needed to get angry about men in front of you. I needed you mm-hmm. as a man to see mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. with my struggles and not to join me in it, mm-hmm. but to be a man witnessing and going, oh, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. like and feeling it with me. Sometimes we can be that for other people and it it's hard. Like it's so hard mm-hmm. to take that because there's a way it touches us too because we're kind of that group right, right that they're angry mm-hmm. with and yet we need right. to be that mm. and, and and it changes us when we really sit in it it's really uncomfortable and and i want to be clear i'm not saying you know if it's like intense like anger and rage mm-hmm. coming at you like right. there's limits of what we can handle mm-hmm. but sometimes it is anger sometimes it is rage in the room not at mm-hmm. you but in the room mm-hmm. Mm-hmm that touches you and, and, mm. it, and it hurts and it, it's, it's painful and yet it can be very transformative. Mm. So as we're wrapping up our show, yeah. could you just summarize really in a, a sentence or two, sure. you know, the heart of your work and what you'd hope the listeners take from this show? I think the, the biggest piece is, is it's so much around capacity of us just being able to tolerate being with each other's suffering. Mm. to really be in our hearts and to really just experience together being with the suffering of others, not to erase it, not to get rid of it, not to even totally join it, but just Mm. almost like we're witnessing and we're being with Mm. each other's suffering. Mm. Thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing a little about who you are and what you're doing in the world. I think it has immense value for um, the growth of our of our society and our cultures. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Take good care. All right. There you have it, folks. Angela Okawa, which I believe you can find at mindfuldiversity.com. Check her out and her workout as well. And um, I really appreciate you all listening today. Remember, we're kind of closing our show in a few weeks. So thank you all so much for listening this whole time. And just a reminder, this is your life to live. So dare to dream and live big and become who you're meant to be. From Radio Boise, this is Radio Awaken. I'm Dr. Mike Sapiro. Hi, it's Al Franken telling you to listen to KBOO, KBOO, Community Radio 90.7, here in Portland. Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. You are. And today we're going to talk about emotional resiliency or this too shall pass. Right? That is really... That's resilient. That's oh, resiliency. Oh, it seems packed. Uh, it is. Condescending. It is. I, I thought about it. I had a person I used to work with, and she always used to say, uh, too bad, so sad, I'm glad you're mad. But that seemed a little bit not as that nice. That is cruel. This too shall pass. That or anything cruel. that doesn't kill us makes us stronger. That's another one of those. These are all just total ones. BS. So. Well, it's, it's, it's the um, philosophy of cliché. Well, the problem being that we don't have the steps before we get to that cliche to figure it out. So those things are very trite, trite. That's the word I like. Well, it saves money on counselors if you just read fortune cookies. So... (laughs)
<laughs> I had no idea. There I'm going to go. remember that when I'm talking to okay, people that so, are really struggling. So we're talking about, and why is emotional resiliency with sustainability? Well, I, this is even one I can identify the connection with. But tell me exactly what you see emotional resiliency as, Miss Annie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, Miss Annie, this is completely my take on things. And I just want to say the reason I wanted to talk about this is that I have, uh, it's unbelievable to me since the two years of the pandemic, how people are struggling at every level of life emotionally. And I believe that a lot of that comes from the fact that we don't have the ability to bounce back to be resilient and I also believe it's because we have not been taught to think so anyway so resiliency is what gives people the psychological strength to cope with stress and hardship and pandemic the pandemic and and everyday life it seems like in this country uh, you know we were talking about this four years of uh, number 45 and uh, two years of COVID and then now a war um, it's a lot. Well, and resiliency, it really brings it to my mind anyway. I mean, we're recording this really at the beginning stages of the uh, Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And you were working with a lot of these Ukrainian women farmers who were set to come this next week, in fact, to yeah. come visit our farm. And and in the lead up to the war, we kept talking to them. And these are just middle class folks who are thinking, I, I want to get something on sale at Kroger's or whatever. Yeah. And what and can I buy when I'm on my trip? And and every time you went to them, you said, you know, is this are you afraid about this? And no, no, that's crazy. I mean, this is this is uh, 2022. No, People don't do, do these things. We have things to do. This is what Natalia told me. She's a she's a businesswoman and she teaches other women about business around agriculture. So she's very educated and intelligent and she speaks English and she, which is great because we can communicate. And she said, you know, I have children in school. I have work, my work. I have uh, a garden to plant and I'm going to my country home. I know. Uh, in in a month and so it's i don't like, have time for war yeah we don't we can't have a war the dishes need doing. that's right well that's what i would say <laughs> right but these are these people at the very extreme are now saying okay we have we have to practice extreme resilience oh yeah everything's so, on the line so as we're talking no, as we're talking no about normal. this yeah we're saying okay apply these things that's the extreme case but there are lesser cases that are going to be impacted within everybody's lives everybody not just ukrainian people but everybody in on the planet is going to be impacted and we already have been because we live in a global society so the reason i wanted to talk about this and i'm glad you brought up about the ukrainian women in agriculture because this has impacted us it's impacted me i've never directly known anybody who's been in a war i have taken women to war zones and we have met people who've been through it the conflict sometimes still going on to some extent one time there was a gun battle in the street outside of where we were sleeping but it's not the same thing as today where i know these women i'm connected to that they have a lot of the same things that i care about you know they love their kids they they love the soil and so I wanted to talk about this because uh, I also see everybody I know struggling to some extent from emotional um, uh, issues and not having most of them not having the resiliency the the ability to snap back they don't have the mental reservoir of strength that people are able to call on in these kinds of experiences and psychologists believe that resilient individuals are better able to handle adversity and rebuild their lives after a struggle and that doesn't mean that we don't feel these things and struggle I mean I feel like I am emotionally a very resilient person and I work directly with people I have several people I'm working with right now I used to call it consulting. Now it's become now it's counseling. counseling, but that's okay. That's what consulting is anyway. And I, and I love doing it because it's really um, exciting to to meet up with somebody and partner with them and help them find this reservoir that's in all of us if we 
massage it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, and part of it is the idea that in every person's life, bad things are going Absolutely. to happen. Absolutely. So there's, how do you get out the other end of it without just being, you know, destroyed by it or, or right. diminished Well, you it. have to develop and you can. Everybody can learn to do this. Every life is an emotional roller coaster. And if you say it isn't, then you're not paying attention. <laughs> or you're uh, a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that. But then sociopath, you don't pay attention. So I think, you know, the goal for me is to be kind of on an even keel. I want to be in a calm place so I can draw on those resources that I have at being resilient. And that helps us to sustain life. It helps us to, to go back to... So we have something harsh happen in life. You know, our house burns down, we get fired... Our dog dies. Um, somebody's very cruel to us. It doesn't have to be extreme. But if we have this pool to draw on this reservoir inside of ourselves and we have the skill sets that we can use to bring ourselves back to a new normal or to a calmer place, and that's what we lack in this country. So would one of the very first steps is be aware of what you're feeling? You know, uh, Well, the- to some extent, but I think, first of all, it's to to learn some of, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but it really is to learn from the mishaps and the misfortunes that you have in life and to also learn how to rely on others, to draw on a tribe of people that know stuff you don't know or know you well enough to say, hey, you know, remember when you did this and repeat to you some of the things you've said to them to help them. So there's this whole network of what needs to happen. So in, and, and so a lot of bad things can happen. A lot of harsh things can happen. Um, sometimes things are too good. And like you won the lottery or whatever, you don't have the ability to deal with it. You know, people think it's just about money, but it would be about everything in your life. So you need this toolkit that I call it. Um, and instead of falling into despair and hiding from your problems and, um, Uh, living with unhealthy coping strategies like getting drunk, getting high, uh, too much sex, um, just all the shopping all the time, all the crazy things that people do to try to fill up this despair and and try to hide it. Um, We we need to take life's difficulties head on and we need to say, all right, what are we going to do about it? And if I can't think of what to do, I go to you or my friends that I'm close to that um, that know me, that know the the worst parts of me, and they still love me. So that's important. Well, one thing I was thinking about when when this and when the Ukrainian uh, situation was arising, and and I don't know if this falls in your guidelines, but I was thinking when whenever I'm hit with an immediate crisis, whether it's real or perceived, I I always have sort of a me- immediate reaction. And that immediate reaction is almost always wrong. And, and I was just thinking, I need to remind myself to just say, listen, I'm going to wait for just a little bit here and try and absorb it and process it and understand it before I come up with a solution. Is that is that something that makes any well, sense? Well, that's, that's one of the things that can happen, although that takes a, a real skill building. And so that's one of the things that when we talk about what they call post-traumatic growth, that is really that pool, that reservoir of resiliency that you've established, those skills, those tools in that toolkit. And one of them would be just tell your brain, okay, shut up for right now. Let's just listen. Let's just listen to Annie. She's usually got this right. <laughs> and okay. she's, and she's, I'll just have that tattooed on my yeah, arm. Yeah, and All she's right. just, no you know, being emotional, which is, you know, but then at some point it becomes clear that there's a need maybe to just express the sadness, to express the horror, and then move on. What can I do about it? So that's mm-hmm. that post-traumatic growth. And these changes... These things, this this toolkit can bring great calm and great um, just goodness to life. People, everybody I know is having what they call anxiety attacks. So I wanted to develop these resiliency skills so that I can have a deeper appreciation for life and I can have a better sense of my own capabilities and I can have stronger connections to others and sometimes that's hard like for me the stronger connections when something is deeply hurting me or 
I'm feeling very low about something. I need to have the words, and I understand this about myself, before I can talk about it. So I've done things like make a deal with other people. When I'm low, I promise, I pinky swear, I'm going to come and try to tell you what's happening because I can't figure it out. I never figure it out on my own. I need other people to say, you're doing great. Everything's, you know, what, what would you tell yourself? Well, I would tell myself to, you know, move on or tell myself, go sit alone and do some meditation. But I can't think of that when I'm, when I'm upset sometimes. So, well, one thing that you used to do that, that helped me a lot is, is if I was overly worrying about something, you'd say, okay, let's make an appointment, a time to allocate for worry. You know, on Monday at 10 o'clock, right. we're going to spend an hour worrying about this, but you're not allowed to worry about it till then. And, and you're like, oh, okay, all right, I can do that. It doesn't really work. I mean, you it still does worry work. about no, it a little bit. No, because you can say tomorrow at 3 o'clock, I'm going to worry about it. And then you set it aside. And if it pops back into your head, say, wait, oh, okay, that's not 3 o'clock. It's not 3 o'clock. And yeah. you know what? If it's 3 o'clock the next day and you really do need to do it, which probably 99.9% .9 of the time is totally not necessary, you might have already worked it out. Another thing is to say, I'm I'm not going to do anything about it tonight. If I sleep on it, it's going to look different in the morning. And I swear to God, almost 100% of the time, it will. But it also gives you a chance to think, all right, I'm going to talk to so-and-so. They know about that law, or they know about that lawn care thing, or they know about how to get the copies made. Or you a know. good attorney. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let me find a good well, attorney. I always like the quote from Mark Twain where he said, I'm an old man and I've had many troubles, most of which never happened. Yes. You know. So here's the deal. Most resilient people roll with the punches, as they say. So they may be crying and unhappy and and temporarily knocked off their, their central point, um, but they're going to look for the new normal, and they're going to say, okay, I have to shift things slightly. So Stella will get her groove back. That's right. And so resiliency has a lot of benefits for daily life. Um, not just for major catastrophes. And and the, the thing is that I think there are people, I know there are people who have the abilities naturally with per certain personality traits. Other people have to learn this. So some people can remain unflappable in the face of challenge. And these behaviors are not just inborn traits, but uh, uh, they are things we can learn. And it's a complex series of retraining your brain with new messages and then acting it out and seeing the positiveness and also connecting with others who will be, who want to help you, who want to share and um, work with you. Okay, well, we'll continue that in a minute, but I want to let everyone know you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you again, it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. Thank God. So we're talking about emotional resiliency. And, and I think um, you were just saying there are certain tools, certain things you can learn. I well, don't know certain things that pe traits that either we have intuitively or we have learned or that we can learn. And the first one is emotional awareness. So, you know, I wanted to understand how I react to life. I want to, I, I have a pretty good handle on that and I worked hard at it. Um, because I don't think I was born with a natural ability to, to think resiliently. I think you, that's one of the things I always was so impressed with you uh, when we were first together. I'm still impressed, but um, I was very impressed in the beginning because you seem to have this natural, so don't get your chest all puffed up and get the fat head, but I, I've told you this a thousand times if I've told it once, that you had this natural ability to have a basic emotional awareness. Yes, you, like I asked you the other day when I was crying about the my friends in Ukraine and, and uh, you said, are you going to cry every day about this? And I said, no, just, just for a little bit, not all day long. And I said, don't you find this sad? I don't understand why everybody isn't crying about the sadness of this. And you said, well, I get it intellectually. I say I'm sad in my head, but not in my heart. Yeah. And yeah. so, but that there is a, re, there is a need for that tool to, to be in the toolkit. I, I need to not be empathetic all the time and you need to be 
more empathetic. No, well, <laughs> the point is, I'm not saying it as a derogatory or a bad thing. I'm right. saying we, we have to work at this resiliency. Our culture does not reward us for having emotional awareness. We should be doing what we're told, which is go shopping, be in debt, uh, believe in the government, believe in insurance, believe in all the things that actually... Uh, that's another show. So anyway, so you you want to have an awareness of what you're feeling and why and understand the feelings of others um, at, at the same time because maybe they're be in better touch with themselves. Okay, so then next you want to have an internal um, locus of control and that's something that um, is really... Uh, believing that it isn't the outside forces when we say somebody made me feel that no. or do that. It's saying I Rather know. than be a victim of, of the situation, you just at least own it. Yeah. So so if I, you know, I was in a meeting once where, where um, there were high up government officials and they called of all of us ladies in agriculture. And I immediately reacted to that. And I said, I'm not a lady. I'm a woman. I'm a farmer. I work hard. Okay. And I needed, I, I needed to say that because those external forces were pushing. And I don't want to be controlled by that. And I think that's, that's what we have to do is be transparent and put it on the table. We also need to learn to be a lot more positive in situations and believe in our own strength in those situations. So creating some sense of optimism about my own personal power to speak up and say, I'm a woman, I'm a farmer, don't call me a lady. Uh, mm -hmm. Not everybody's going to do that. Well, one thing that I do, and, and maybe this is in the same vein, is oftentimes when confronted with a, with a challenge or whatever, I'll usually try and remind myself, somebody can do this, so why not why me? Why can't I? You know, yeah. I've got those abilities. That's some of some things that are in the toolkit. Or I'm smart enough to figure it out. Or I'm smart enough to ask other people to help me. I mean, there and are a lot. darn it, people like me. I know right? it. I know it. What was the name of that character? I don't even Carrie, know. Yeah. Carrie Starr yeah. always says that. Yeah. All right. I, I can't ahead. think of the name of it. Anyway, so. <laughs> but that's a good mantra. That would be a good mantra for your toolkit. The next time somebody's giving you baloney and, or you're doubting yourself, but you know you could do it, then you tell yourself, you know. Uh, well, I, I tell myself that Ben Carson can perform brain surgery. I mean, <laughs> geez, <laughs> I yeah. can do pretty much anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so the idea is that resilient people see positives in most situations and they believe in the strength of that. And so it's like my grandma used to say, you could throw me into a pile of um, uh, manure and I would figure out how to... She'd still find the pony, right? No, she would not. She would grow roses and they would there be beautiful. And she would be positive about it. And, and I think that's what we have to do is to say, analyze the situation. It adds a richness, a, a mental well-being. So we don't always see what's wrong. We see the other side of it as well. So I think a sense of humor is another piece of this and honestly this is one of the things that you have brought to my life and I didn't mean this show to be about you but but it's true <laughs> because when things were tense or there was a, a, a point where we couldn't figure out something it didn't even mean we were at odds and you would always you still do find some way to laugh at the difficulty of it and the laughter would clear the air and rest our brains for a second and then all was well in some form or fashion. And so I think we I think we have to to work harder at finding humor, a nice kind of humor, a fifth grade kind of humor. Um, and and also these things give us some ability to be pers uh, to have perspective and learn from our mistakes rather than to not to deny them. So we might have to build something or write something over and over again. And then each time, maybe what we do is be resilient in our practice and go to people to edit for us or come and see what we're doing and tell us what, what do you think is a solution? Maybe they don't know, but the Wright brothers were bike repairmen, not airplane builders. So, so creativity. Um, also spirituality, you know, this is something we sadly lack in this country. 
we, we think religion is spiritual. And it may be for some people, but it's mostly once you get in your head, you're intellectualizing. You're not being spiritual. So well, being, I think a lot of those, like the 12-step programs, they always put that layer saying, listen, you know, I'm going to turn over to a higher power. Yeah, I'm going to give whatever. up control. And mm-hmm. that, that helps a lot of people get through a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can say things like, I, you know, I trust my ancestors. I mean, there are lots of beliefs that can be helpful in having spiritual practice. But also, it helps you to have a deeper appreciation for life and it boosts a sense of your own capabilities and connections to others and and some of those practices we've had other shows about that about um really about meditation but just also you know being alone with your dog or going on a walk and hugging a tree or whatever that is but people who are resilient have that kind of ability to to help themselves to heal themselves to calm themselves and that's the place we want to find is that calm outside of the stimulus you know we go out to eat and there are tvs there there are radio playing there are people talking really loudly um we you know we it's hard to find in some places a a place to be spiritual a place to be quiet Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, uh, emotional resilience refer- refers to the ability to adapt to stressful situations, whether it's being where there's a lot of stimulus or whether it's because something bad happened. I think maybe, you know, when you were saying that, it just occurred to me, a lot of people will say this shouldn't be happening. Right. You know, this and and the reality is stressful situations, bad luck, bad things are going to happen. I think maybe the first hurdle is just to get past that. This shouldn't be happening and move on to, all right, how do I deal with right. this? Right. Well, I think, I do think it's good. Like I saw a, a, a news clip of a woman who, um, who, who had a small child, a baby, and uh, it was killed in a bombing. And she's screaming, why? And I think, I think we sometimes want to answer that. Although the why is never, you can't really. But if that's the way you begin your resiliency plan, sure. then that's okay. It's if you get stuck there. Yeah, it's. A, I remember a, a Wayne Dyer tape I used to listen to. And he said, you know, when you stub your toe, you get up in the middle of the night, stub your toe. You can be dancing around the room going, ow, 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 ow. And that's appropriate. But if you're still there four weeks later right. doing this, right. then it is suddenly not a good coping mechanism. No. So here are some basic characteristics of people who are practicing resiliency in a, in a natural way. And so, you know, if you feel like you need some help with emotional resiliency, then find one of those people in your life. They do exist. Um, maybe you just haven't paid attention. So resilient people have hold positive views of themselves and their abilities. Sometimes that's a little bit of a challenge being, you know, sort of too confident about our abilities, but I don't think you can ever be that confident. I think it's when you insist on your own way. There's a difference of confidence and arrogance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So possessing the capacity to make realistic plans and stick to them. And that's really important in everyday life, personal life. That's really important with raising kids, uh, transitioning into a new job. I mean, the first time I realized you could make lists, my first mother-in-law, who was, I loved her to death, she showed me how to make a list when I was 19. I was like, oh, this is the answer to my anxiety. Make a list for everything. <laughs> anyway, so also have that internal locus of control where you don't blame what's outside of you. It's important to assess that and understand what those things are, but then how do they become tools or how do you eliminate them because they're in the way being a good communicator this is huge if you want to be resilient we meet people we see them on the news who have the vocabulary of about 400 words and I'm not being sarcastic because one time when I was working with girls from a rural area and they were so frustrated all the time they I counted words in a two-hour meeting and they were at 425 and about half of them are got Yes. So the problem being that you can't express yourself effectively if you have 400 words. But even if you use a lot of words, you know, I remember talking to a guy who was like so thrilled with his own vocabulary. And at the end, I told him, I just looked at him, he goes, listen, John, I know every word you just said, and they don't go together. 
<laughs> so, so here's another one, and I think this is really important because we love the word victim and we love the word survivor in this culture. So we view ourselves as fighters rather than victims. And if we become the victim of a situation, we find a way and we use our toolkit to be fighting back. And then also we have a high emotional intelligence and we manage our emotions effectively. And that doesn't mean it happens all the time because sometimes you have to rein yourself in or ask for some help. So resilient people look at negative situations realistically, but in a way that doesn't center on blame or brooding. So let me just say real quickly before we run out of time that the way you build resilience, first of all, you embrace your challenges and your failures. And you build connections with other people. So you prioritize your relationships and you get rid of the ones who don't fit into this toolkit. If you are with somebody who's constantly berating you and finding fault, send them to the counselor or tell them to go to the door and leave. Manage your own thoughts. Work on maintaining a hopeful outlook. Find ways to, one of the things I used to do is have all these cool things I'd cut out of magazines that were about scary is good and you matter and things like that. And I put them in front of the toilet. I had to look at that and remind myself constantly. And take care of yourself. Foster wellness by taking care of your mind. You know, food is medicine, so eat well. Try to be active physically and avoid unhealthy coping mechanisms like drinking, drugging, well, drinking is drugging, um, and shopping all the time. These are all things that bring us to a place where we can find some resiliency in our emotions. And if we don't do it as a culture, we, we, we're just really sunk. Okay. Well, on that cherry news. <laughs> we can do it. You can yeah, learn to okay, do it. Okay, I'm optimistic. Okay, you've been listening <laughs> to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank our optimistic, resilient, and emotionally stable <laughs> Emmy Award-winning producer, God, Adam Rich. I hope so. <laughs> and we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother probably told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... My grandmother said, play nice with others, and she knows. Until next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at Blue Rock.